this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today there is much that is still unknown about omicron the newest sars-cov-2 variant that has been designated a variant of concern by the world health organization The variant was first reported in South Africa on November 24th and has since spread to over 15 countries or regions as of now. In response, several countries have begun imposing travel restrictions and closing borders, similar to what we saw happening last year during the initial waves of the pandemic. Omicron is a heavily mutated strain with over 30 mutations in the spike protein of the virus, some in part of the protein that is required for binding to human receptor proteins. for entry into cells this has raised concerns that the variant may be more transmissible and also that it may hamper the efficacy of our current treatments for the disease another concern has been that the variant may have vaccine escape properties however scientists will require possibly several more weeks before they can determine whether any of these concerns are valid what do we now know about the variant Are travel restrictions and bans really effective given that the new variant is already spreading? With India having vaccinated nearly 80% of its eligible population with the first dose and about 38% with both doses, what more needs to be done to take measures against the new variant? To speak to us about this and more, we have with us today Dr. Shahid Jamil, a virologist and a fellow at OCIS and Green Templeton College, University of Oxford. Good morning Dr. Shahid Jamil and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Good morning Zubeda. Doctor, last week the World Health Organization designated a new SARS-CoV-2 variant named Omicron as a variant of concern. It has been detected in at least 15 countries or regions as of now and various countries have begun to impose travel restrictions and border closings. What do we know so far about Omicron? so what we know about omicron is that the first viruses were reported from botswana and south africa but it doesn't necessarily mean that these viruses developed there they could simply have been detected there so that's the first point the virus has caused a lot of concern because it is the most mutated covid variant so far it has 50 different mutations compared to the original virus out of which 32 are in the spike protein which as you know is the protein present on the surface of the virus which is the one that the virus uses to enter cells antibodies target this protein and so on now out of these 32 10 of these changes are in a region of the spike protein that we call the receptor binding domain that's the region of the protein through which it binds to cell and enter cells there are also mutations in a region called the n terminal domain which is the target of several therapeutic neutralizing antibodies so that is what is causing concern there are 125 sequences available in public databases of omicron now and as far as we know it is spreading quickly however there are no real estimates of whether it is more transmissible than delta which we have already seen 
so a lot of data is yet to come in it's very early days so that's that's what is known today you said not much is known about its transmissibility doctor but that is one of the major concerns that it possibly could be more transmissible than the other variants we have known so far initial reports from south africa however seem to indicate low hospital rates uh, with most cases being reported in young people who have experienced mild illness could this be a factor of this particular variant is there a link between the virus's transmissibility and its ability to cause severe illness no it could be it may not be so on both of these counts whether it's transmissibility or ability to cause more severe disease we have only limited data available now from one region of the world primarily from south africa where the original viruses were discovered but we need really more data to be more conclusive about it so for example it could simply be a cluster effect the virus spreading quickly in a limited population group whether that level of transmissibility will hold in the population especially populations that are heavily immunized uh, remains to be seen or heavily infected in the past the the issue about more severe disease from early reports which have been coming out of south africa and also the doctor who reported the initial cases saw the initial cases seems to think that the symptoms are unusual but mild again the cluster she was looking at was primarily younger people so at this point we don't know what might be the severity in elderly for example in people who have comorbidities so that's why i'm saying that a lot of data is yet to come in but all sorts of speculations are being made all sort of numbers are being given without really any solid backing to those numbers you spoke a little earlier about about the fact that some of the mutations are being seen in portions of the virus that treatment treating antibodies target could you tell us a little bit more about that doctor does this mean that the current treatments that we have available could possibly be less effective well the current treatments for the virus for for covid are really supportive therapy uh, very few people are able to afford the monoclonal antibody treatment which is very expensive and also needs to be given fairly early in the treatment now as far as the two recently developed drugs are concerned one from pfizer and one from uh, merck again there is no data available and from whatever it looks like there aren't too many changes in the regions of the virus that are targeted by these drugs antibodies yes but not drugs so i doubt that there will be any change in the treatment protocols so again you know very early days we can only speculate at this time but let's wait and see doctor vaccine escape is another huge concern as you told us earlier many of the mutations lie of omicron lie in a part of the spike protein uh, which is what enters the cells india has administered over 120 crore doses of the covid-19 vaccine and nearly 80% of the eligible population has received at least one dose how safe are our existing vaccines 
Well, vaccines are safe. So there are two issues you're, you're talking about. One is, and I believe you're asking whether existing vaccines will continue to work or not. And again, I will say that while solid data is yet to come in and it will take possibly another week or two weeks for the first laboratory data to start coming out, my hunch is that the vaccine effectiveness may drop by a few points, but it's very unlikely that vaccines will not work. Vaccines will continue to work to protect us from severe disease and hospitalization. As you know, these vaccines don't protect from symptomatic infection very well. Uh, they do protect from symptomatic infection better if you have both doses compared to one dose. And it's the same with severe disease and hospitalization. So I think the focus needs to be on making sure that as many people as possible get their second dose very, very quickly. And for that, there will have to be some policy changes made to ensure that. So that would be a better public health response rather than, you know, just worrying whether vaccines are work will not or not. Vaccines are likely to work, but maybe with reduced efficiency. But I say this with the caveat that data remains to come in. Doctor, what do we know about how or why the mutus virus mutates to this extent? You said that in Omicron, we have seen the highest number of mutations so far. Yes. So viruses mutate all the time. The only ones that you see emerging in a population are the ones that give the virus some selective advantage over competitor viruses. So if this virus were to transmit better and transmit better in people who have earlier been infected or vaccinated compared to other viruses that are circulating, that would be an advantage to the virus. If it escapes uh, immunity slightly better, that would be an advantage to the virus. So the fact that it has emerged and the fact that it is spreading quickly, at least in a limited area, tells us that this virus has certain advantages. Now, where did it come from? Well, there are a couple of hypotheses on this, but there's a gentleman called Trevor Bedford who is at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. And he has recently done some analysis which is called phylodynamic analysis, which is essentially building a family tree of these viruses with a time clock on it. And he estimates that the first virus sequences that emerged in the human population were in early October of this year. However, if you look at the closest relatives of this virus, the closest relatives were circulating in the mid-2020s. So, so it has really emerged after almost a year of development, if uh, Dr. Bedford is correct. So if that be the case, then this virus has possibly circulated either in a population that has not been screened very well, and that can't be South Africa because South Africa has done very well, or it may have uh, developed in a person with a weak immune system where the virus persists for long periods of time 
and continues to change. The third possibility is that the virus over the past year could have developed in an animal reservoir and spilled over from animals into humans. So there are various possibilities at this time. Again, these are all speculations. We don't really know what happened. Doctor, you were talking to us about South Africa doing very well in its screening and genomic surveillance. The Indian SARS-CoV-2 Genomics Consortium was set up in December last year. Since then, could you tell us a little bit about how it has worked and how important a role it will play in the quick identification of Omicron? So, INSACOG has has worked well. Uh, INSACOG initially started as a consortium of 10 laboratories, 10 national laboratories across the country that put their resources and heads together to, to help the country in the sequencing. Subsequently, it was extended from 10 to 28 labs, and they're all being coordinated through the National Center for Disease Control. Several states also have their own arrangement with these sequencing labs. So I have not really looked at how many sequences have by now been generated from India, but there's a lot of sequences, and most of them were actually generated immediately after the, the second wave. And surveillance has continued. So I believe India has the capacity, it has the people, it has the resources to be able to sequence. But we need to understand that every case cannot be sequenced because sequencing is expensive, it's time consuming, all that. So at this point, I think it would be better to do focused genomic sequencing if there are indications that the person coming positive has traveled to regions or has been in regions that are affected by the virus. And two or three cases in a whole country doesn't really mean much. But yes, if somebody is coming from Southern Africa at this point, viruses should be sequenced to, to ensure. Now, you can do sequencing at a very high rate, but the virus will still creep in. And, you know, Britain does uh, sequencing at roughly 5 to 6%. There are already three cases in the UK. I mean, you do you do all this to understand the virus. You do all this to ensure that you can take quick action. But sequencing alone will not prevent a virus from coming into a population and emerging in a population. It's simply a mitigation measure. So I think India is doing fine. Further, I, th I think there is one other point which needs to be mentioned beyond vaccination which india has done very well the second wave in india was very devastating the fourth national zero survey done by the government showed that about two-thirds of the indian population had antibodies and at that time the vaccination rate was quite low so that means that all of the antibodies, or at least a majority of the antibodies, were coming from exposure to the virus. If you translate that number to the Indian population, we are talking about somewhere around 930 to 950 million people getting exposed. More recent zero surveys from cities like Delhi, Mumbai, parts of Haryana have shown that almost 90%, Delhi actually has 97% people have antibodies. So with that kind of 
population exposure i doubt that the virus is going to you know run wild in in india it may cause infections but it's very very unlikely that it's going to cause severe disease or hospitalization i really don't think we should panic on this so are border restrictions valid in that sense doctor if it is going to come in any case border restrictions only delay things and and allow you to to understand this better and develop capacity to deal with it border restrictions have never prevented any virus from getting into a country so all these border restrictions will simply delay things the virus will eventually be there <laughs> doctor going off on a bit of a tangent some countries have begun administering booster doses to vulnerable sections of their population mm-hmm. reports indicate that india too may consider an additional dose what do we know about boosters so far could they help protect against omicron are they needed no we don't know whether boosters help against omicron but we do know that boosters help consolidate immunity from india i am not aware of data to show how much the vaccine effectiveness or the antibody levels have dipped in people who were vaccinated with either of the vaccines let's say after 3 months after 6 months after a year but global experience shows that in about 6 months antibodies dip to a level where some countries are not comfortable with that now india has to set its own benchmarks as far as india giving boosters or not i think a more important policy direction would be to ensure that as many people as possible get the second dose before we you know use the doses for for boosters however we may consider giving boosters to people who are at very high risk these could be the elderly these could be people with severe comorbidities these could be people who are somehow immunocompromised like people on cancer treatment hiv infected people so we could consider giving boosters to select populations but a booster for everyone who has been fully vaccinated and is otherwise healthy i don't think is needed it's more important to ensure that a lot of people get their second dose that's going to make a more, more of an effect than giving boosters there are concerns about vaccine inequity linked with this africa has low levels of vaccination coverage while many developed countries have vaccinated a significant number of their population and are now giving boosters the who has also flagged vaccine inequity what do you feel about this doctor well vaccine inequity is there for everyone to see and that could be one reason why this why this new variant has emerged from an area which was very poorly vaccinated uh, although i must say that south africa hasn't done badly about i think 24% of their population is fully vaccinated about 28 or 29% has one dose and they are the most vaccinated country in on the african continent uh, i mean if you look at the average less than 5% people have both doses of vaccine on the other hand 
in several developed countries, as you rightly said, people are beginning to get boosters now. I mean, in Britain, I know that about 15 million booster doses, possibly more, have been administered. So this really illustrates a very important point to us is that you can continue to protect your own local population with all sorts of measures. But if you ignore some parts of the world, then new variants will develop in that part and they'll come to you. You know, I I think the WHO had said it very nicely when he said that, you know, unless everyone is safe, no one is safe. I think the world needs to wake up and, you know, make sure that regions of the world that are poorly vaccinated build up on this vaccination. India, I think, is doing very well in terms of opening up the export of vaccines. It is needed. It will help countries that have received fewer doses. It will help the COVAX program. And that's the way to go about it. Doctor, one last question. You said... uh... The significant thing to do now was to up our vaccination game and make sure everyone received the second dose. What else can the government do and what personally can people do? COVID-appropriate behavior has to continue for the time being and well into the future? Yes. So uh, I think the first thing that everyone should do is not panic. The second thing is have a clear policy on increased vaccination. And one way of ensuring that a lot more people get their second dose than than the numbers that are getting today is to possibly reduce the duration between two doses from the current 16 weeks to about 12 weeks. Scientific data has shown that anywhere upwards of 12 weeks, you get better uh, vaccine effectiveness. So let's do that. We have no shortage of vaccines. We have been able to deliver, uh, you know, up to uh, two and a half crore doses on a single day. So we have the capacity to deliver. I mean, how much uh, would it take to get the capacity aligned so that a lot of people will get vaccinated very, very quickly? I think that needs to be done. The third thing, looking at the future, Uh, boosters that you were talking about. We need to ensure that several other vaccines that have either been approved or are awaiting approval get deployed, uh, of course, after proper approvals. In India, almost 90% doses are of Covishield. Unfortunately, you can't use Covishield as a booster uh, because of the nature of that vaccine. It won't give any added benefit. So we need to look at other vaccine options. And the other vaccine options is we either import RNA vaccines or we we deploy the DNA vaccine that India has approved or we look at uh, two protein vaccines that have completed trials and are awaiting regulatory approval in the country. So these are various approaches that can be used to, to really up the booster pipeline. And finally, you know, as you said, individual responsibility is that we continue to observe COVID-appropriate behavior. We wear masks and we wear masks properly and go about our normal business. I think, I really honestly don't think India is going to suffer uh, very much because of this variant. But we need to keep an eye on it. We need to watch it.
Right. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Dr. Shahid. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.